good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Sunday, and welcome back to Sith's Basement. It's Sith, coming to you from the basement in the RV tonight. And tonight, we're going to put together four horror franchises for a huge countdown from 26 to 1, worst to first. We have The Nightmare on Elm Street, Psycho, Evil Dead, and Child's Play franchises. Yes, this will include Child's Play 2019, as that is a separate entity. It is a reboot of the franchise. I also have a stimulus update, as well as some Q&A as well, so let's get it on. Now, coming at number 26. Now, it was a tough call because all four franchises had films that I could consider the worst. But I had to make a decision, and number 26 is... Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. This also ranks as one of the worst movies I've ever seen in a theater. It barely edges out Highlander 2 for that. Okay. Now, for those who like this film, odds are you're going to persuade me that parts 4 through 6 were better than 1 than 3, but I strongly disagree. You can have meta humor, etc., and still keep the suspense intact, and this film fails in the humor and suspense big time. Aside from an Alice Cooper cameo playing Freddy Krueger's dad in a flashback, and Iggy Pop singing Why Was I Born at the End with a montage of clips from the films, I have no reason to sit through this track, even if I'm marathoning the franchise. I'll go, oh god, Freddy's dead's on next. It's a painful movie. And even worse, the original running time was 101 minutes, New Line spared us with an 89-minute cut for home video. So there you go. And by the way, I prefer my Freddy to have a couple of one-liners here and there. And they'd be dark and scary. But Freddy's a joke in this film. So it's solidified at number 26. Now, coming in at number 25, and I do mean this is just slightly better than Freddy's Dead, is Seed of Chucky. The worst film in the Child's Play franchise by far. Oh dear God, what was Don Mancini thinking with this? Bride of Chucky wasn't too bad with trying to mix a lot more humor with the horror, but this film took everything that worked with Bride of Chucky and threw it all away. And it's totally uneven. It's a complete waste of time. Don't get me started on the Britney Spears cameo either. The one redeeming value over Freddy's Dead, there's a slight bit of suspense in there, but other than that, this film's trash. Coming in at number 24 is the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Now, this film has one major redeeming quality. Jackie Earl Haley. Okay, he makes a really good Freddy Krueger. If you give him another chance at the role, with a better script, a better director, and a better surrounding cast, it could be a really good, solid film. Now, problems with this film, they really hit on Freddy's past as a child sex predator really hard on the news for starters. The film is a major disappointment, and it's another film that if you're mere thunning the franchise, I'm like, oh God, I gotta sit through this. But again, eight times out of 10, if there's a remake, I recommend you watch the original. Watch the original. Coming in at number 23 is an Elm Street 5 
The Dream Child. Now, this film has one redeeming quality. One, the biker kill. Dan's death, awesome shit. The rest of the film, trash. Okay, this film had a troubled production. You had a script that was worked, just like with Dream Master during production. The directing isn't all that good, but look. And like with a lot of slasher films in the 80s, there was a lot of editing to appease the MPAA. But what's left is really forgettable. Another film that I'll only watch if I'm marathoning the franchise, but <laughs> even though it's better than Freddy's Dead and it's better than Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I'm not happy when this comes on. I'm not a happy camper. Coming in at number 22 is the most recent Don Mancini form of Child's Play, and I'm saying it's Cult of Chucky. Oh, dear God, this film is fucking trash. Don Mancini took the good things that came out of Curse of Chucky and ruined a lot of the lore of the series, such as the long seance to transfer bodies, and now it's just a few words to go into other dolls and people. Humor is totally out of whack and way too much. The one redeeming quality about this film is that we might get a TV show on sci-fi starting next year explaining the origins of Chucky. Oh, and for the franchise purists whining about last year's remake of Child's Play saying it was trash or it shouldn't have been made because it's not the real Chucky, get over it. Alright, this film was shit as opposed to the remake, which is pretty up there in the countdown. Coming at number 21 is the last contender of the worst. This is the best of the worst, if you will. And I use that term loosely, the Psycho remake from 98. And honestly, this was a terrible film. Now, Gus Van Zandt is a really good director. He's one of the best directors of my generation. And to see him go from really, really good work to doing a soulless and bland shot-by-shot remake of the Hitchcock classic is insulting. Two things aside, this is a shot-by-shot remake of Psycho. So, just like with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I strongly suggest with Psycho, you skip the remake and just watch the 1960 original you'll be a lot better off. It's another case of eight times out of 10, original's better than the remake. Now we're getting into number 20, and with number 20, these are films that I do watch a little bit more frequently. They have a little bit more redeeming value, and I do enjoy them. And they have you have better odds of me watching it, marathon or no. And we start off at number 20 with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Now, when this film came out, it was the start of comedic Freddy, not being scary. But this film has some awesome visuals. And yeah, the story is still done on the fly. It's good compared to the films ranked below. And this is one I enjoy and one that I do tend to give a rewatch every so often. And Tuesday Night is okay in the role that she did, you know, where she had to replace Patricia Arquette. But you could tell that the chemistry was off with the remaining Dream Warriors. So that's the big downfall here. But, you know, a pretty good entry. Number 20, Nightmare 4, Dream Master. Time to start off some controversy. We love doing that around here. 
because coming at number 19 is the Evil Dead remake. Now, from 2013. Now, for those who haven't clicked off this show yet, let me explain. I get the idea for needing a remake. Okay? I get that. And this is a decent remake. And whether you watch the rated version or the unrated version, it's really good. And this film could come up a couple of places in a couple of years. But the nostalgia just isn't there yet. Okay? It's definitely a good watch. But, again, I prefer the original version. Okay? Over the remake. Coming in at number 18 is Psycho for the Beginning. Now, this is another one of our favorite films here. Where you have part sequel, part prequel. And that's what this is. In the prequel part... You have Henry Thomas as a young Norman Bates, you know, getting under the influence of Mother back before the events of the original Psycho. And in the sequel part, you've got Norman Bates, you've got the great Anthony Perkins on the phone as Norman Bates, married to Connie, he's expecting his child, and he's on the phone talking to this talk show host, going to go, well, I want to kill my wife to discuss this. What brings this film down is the fact that it ignores the events in Psycho 2 and Psycho 3. But this is a decent film, and by the way, this was direct to cable. This was on Showtime in 1990. So, good film, but it's number 18. Coming in at number 17 is a film that a lot of people like. I tend to like it, but not as much as other people do. And that's Freddy vs. Jason. It's an okay film. It's got a ton of humor for a film that's predicated on a lot of humor. But what brings this film up is the 20 minutes you get of Freddy and Jason fighting it out and the R-level, R-rated levels of gore, which are way beyond what we got in the 80s. It's a fun watch, but it's not a film that I put in first. Okay. Now, coming in at number 16, and now from here on in, these are films that I watch when I can. Coming in at number 16, Psycho 3. This is the film that takes place about a month after the events in Psycho 2, and Norman Bates, with friends of former 90s, lost her faith. Not a bad film for a film that went from suspense slasher to full slasher. Anthony Perkins directed this film, and it's a rewatchable film if you're into the Psycho franchise. And honestly, as I said earlier, at the film that comes after the Psycho 4, the beginning, and taking this in Psycho 2, Psycho 4 would have been better. That's all I'm going to say. Um, about the only problem I have with this film is the relationship between Norman Bates and the nun really doesn't go anywhere, and that's kind of a downfall for that film. Coming in at number 15 is a film that's all over the place with these with people. Some people hate it because they keep comparing it to the original and that's a legit thing. Some people find it to be an excellent follow-up and people like me that find it strange but a solid watch and we're talking The Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Now, it's got a good story but the behind the scenes portrayal of Jesse was absolutely cruel and Mark Patton actually loved show business soon after this film was put into the can. Major drop in ranking because Freddy coming out in the pool party 
which, you know, kind of gives the middle finger, you know, the fuck you to the entire lore of Freddy not being to come out in the real world. Um, but the part where he comes out of his, out of Jesse's stomach, that's badass shit. Coming at number 14 is a film that a lot of people didn't like, but I really loved it. And we're talking about Curse of Chucky. This was the first directed video release from the Child's Play franchise, and it was a return to form, because he still had the black humor, but it was used a little bit sparingly, and he had more suspense and scares. If this was in place of Seed, and we didn't have Cult, and go right into the reboot, the franchise would be a lot better off right now than where it is now. Watch the unrated version for a great post credit scene that puts kind of like a bow on the franchise itself. 14, Curse of Chucky. Coming at number 13 is the next hot button we're going to push, and that is the 2019 Child's Play remake. Now, let me preface by saying that I wasn't too hip of Chucky being AI, but I've seen this film about three or four times now, and I actually am having fun with this idea. This, like Evil Dead 2013, it will move up in future years. It was an updated version of the original, and honestly, it does a much better job of focusing on the key plot point of the friendship between Chucky and Andy. This is a reboot slash remake that actually does work, and if you haven't given this a view yet and you love Child's Play, give it a shot. You probably won't be disappointed. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free on there. Give it a watch. Coming in at number 12 is Child's Play 2. Yes, this is the sequel that honestly is as much fun as the original. Andy's moved in with a foster family two years after the events of Child's Play, and when the doll manufacturer tries to hit the reset button to prove that nothing happened, there's this electrical malfunction that brings Chucky back to life, and that's where all chaos breaks loose. This is a solid sequel that's a good balance of the black humor versus the horror, and it blends well. And up until the post credit scene of Curse of Chucky, well, this is the last time you see Andy Barkley, at least portrayed by the original actor, um, Alex Vincent. We're on the outside looking in into the top 10, and number 11 is a film that people either liked it for how the franchise evolved or hated it because it really went to overdrive with the humor, Bride of Chucky. Now, I have a decent relationship because even though there's a lot more meta humor, at the time it was released, 98, this was right in the era of Scream. So that meta part was big at that time. And there was a little bit more of it than there was in the first three films, but nowhere near as much as Seed of Chucky or Cult. This happens to be my favorite of the films that feature Jennifer Tilly as Tiffany. The only major drawback is that it moved from child possession, but overall, it's a good watch. Now we kick off the top 10 with the big one, and that is Psycho 2, where you start to get the segue from suspense slasher to full force slasher, with the Norman Bates franchise. As the tagline says, it's been 22 years and Norman Bates is coming home. He comes home after being uh, found of competent sign mounted body, 
He comes home, gets back under the influence of mother, and all hell breaks loose. Is it as great as the original? Absolutely not. But for my generation, Generation X, this was our first exposure to Norman Bates that we hadn't seen the original Psycho, but it's a solid film. What keeps this film at number 10 is that I love the films in front of me just a bit much, but I'll never drop out of its ranking of where it is. Right there, number 10, Psycho 2. Coming in at number 9 is a film that I just watched the other night for the upteenth time, Army of Darkness from 93, the third Evil Dead film. Um, as Sam Raimi said when he was promoting it, there will not be an Evil Dead 3, there will be an Army of Darkness. Okay. Yes, we know the issues that Universal wanted a PG-13 rating, and also the issues with the editing as well because the studio took it over, but you still end up with an R-rated film, and what you get in return is a fun ride. Our hero Ash is trapped in 1300s England and awakens the Army of Darkness when he doesn't say the words 100% accurately when he retrieves the Necronomicon. You get this was full-on slapstick comedy horror here, in a film that was based on a lot of humor. You knew that during Evil Dead 2 where we're going down this path. That's why it's so accessible. Coming in at Crazy 8 is Child's Play 3. Yeah, this is the one where Andy Barkley's in military school and Chucky follows him. Now, a lot of people give Don Mancini grief about this one, but he had to think of something on the fly. He did, y'all. In defense of Don Mancini, he had to figure this out on the fly. Because when he was developing Child's Play 2, Universal said, Okay, we know you're developing this, but we also want a Child's Play 3 done immediately. So you had to do these back to back. It's a fun film to sit through. Yeah, there's a lot of dark humor in it. But this film has a lot of nostalgia for me because I went to military school. So, it's a good film, but not as bad as people make you to believe. Child's Play 3, number 8. Coming at Lucky 7 is the original Child's Play. This is insanely good. And it's the first film in the series. Before Chucky, you had talking slashers with Freddy Krueger and Pinhead. But with Michael and Jason, they didn't talk. This film always gets an October watch, and honestly, it's simplistic horror, but it's good. A doll gets possessed by a serial killer, and when a young Andy Barkley has the doll, the doll kills people, and it gets blamed. Okay. So, we know about the rewrites, but you know in hindsight, the rewrites were likely needed when you see some of Don Mancini's other works that he's actually written. Number seven, the original Todd's play. Coming in at number six is the original Psycho from, the, from 1960. The Alfred Hitchcock classic to this day, you can watch over and over again and people will be paranoid if you take a shower. Solid film, and honestly, it never should have been remade. In this, in this stage of age of reboots, if you leave go after the show Bates Motel, or if you have to reboot or remake it, Put, put Jordan Peele in charge of it. Okay? The world will understand if Jordan Peele does a remake of Psycho because he's excellent. Because he's taking over the mantle of Hitchcock for this generation. This is the film just that just never gets old. 
Okay, we're breaking into the top five. In your process of elimination, we're down two. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Evil Dead 2. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And coming in is, at number five, is Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. We're the Dream Warriors. Okay, look, this film has only one drawback, and it's the ending. Not going to spoil it, but this was the best mix of Funny Freddy and Scary Freddy that you get. This was before it was Slapstick Freddy, and he's still scary here. I know that New Line rejected Wes Craven's idea because it was too cerebral, and it was going to end the franchise, but whatever. This is still one of my favorite films to watch. Coming at number four is Evil Dead 2, which, like its predecessor, was unrated when it first hit theaters. Now it's been re-rated, rated R, okay? But it's a strange and off-the-wall, batshit crazy film. Now, the ending actually referenced, was actually referenced in High Fidelity, okay? The film High Fidelity from 2000. Why is it in the top three? Nostalgia, but I'll always love this film. The gore's over the top. You get that twisted ending that just takes you for a loop. Sets up Army of Darkness. Bruce Campbell really turns into Ash, the hero in this one. And if you just realize that the over the top gore and the humor is what they're trying to set the pace for, for I mean, you're good to go. Hail. Who is he? Number four, Evil Dead 2. Coming in at number three, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I saw this opening night when he came out in theaters and said, apology accepted, new line. Apology accepted for the last two films. Because I do like Dream Master a bit, but not as much. But for the last two or three films, your apology is accepted. And this film is very much meta, like Friday the 13th Part 6, before Scream made it all mainstream. The demonic spirit of Freddy haunts the set of a new Elm Street film. You get a lot of cameos from previous films. It's sad that this film is overlooked, but it was a rude awakening for a lot of the people who love the slapstick Freddy, and not the evil, demonic, and sadistic Freddy. And also, even though you have the meta-nature of the film of Freddy's presence he's not into this film until a little over an hour into the film and he only has two kills that are like homage kills so that brings it down for some people but it's an enjoyable ride top two down to two both originals, both classics. Evil Dead and the original Nightmare. One film redefined slasher, and one defined B-movie horror. No matter where I go, people are going to be upset. But coming at number two is the original Nightmare on Elm Street. The only thing that keeps it at number two is that compromised ending, where Wes Craven wanted to close out the series, but Bob Shales wanted a franchise, 
so you had the hook ending that we all know easily enough. Really wish I could go back into time 1984 and see this film opening night and watch people get scared out of of their seats. Because this is an amazing film. Horror was never the same after 78's Halloween, 74's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho from 1960, 1980's Friday the 13th, and this one, Elm Street, the original from 84. And number one is Evil Dead. This film's just insanely sick. And yeah, it's NC-17, but it's simplistic B-movie horror at its best. And although people will see it now and call it cheesy horror, it's fucking entertaining as hell. I don't understand the hate, but you'll never go to a cabin to find the economic card and try to understand or watch this classic. And there you go. Nightmare on Elm Street, Psycho, Evil Dead, and Child's Play all ranked. Now let's break out some Q&A. Sith, what are your views on Glenn Beck? Beck, are you a fan of him or no? You know, at times I think he can have some salient points, but there are times when he totally strikes out with me big time. When he was acting as though that Donald Trump was an agent of Satan and Senator Ted Cruz was the salvate, save, sa- savior of this country, this show went way off the deep end with that. I get the appeal, and I get that he's a conservative libertarian, but he's just not my cup of tea. However, if I had a choice of him or Alex Jones, I would definitely listen to Glenn Beck. If they were the only two. Question two, Seth. Your view on Joy Reid getting the 7 p.m. slot on MSNBC. It's about damn time she got a weeknight slot. I mean, she's been with the network since 2014. I don't agree with a lot of her views politically, but as I've said before, if she and Don Lemon were to say what Malcolm X had to say about white liberals as well as white conservatives, she would be fired immediately from MSNBC because it's mainly ran by, you guessed it, white liberals. She's highly intelligent, and honestly, she's one of the best reasons to watch MSNBC, whether you agree with her politically or not. Sit. your thoughts on YouTube TV hiking up rates after adding the Viacom networks. Well, what were you expecting when a streaming platform adds in more channels? The rates stay the same or something? Look, eventually, over-the-top internet television services are going to increase their rates when they add more channels to their platforms. The upside to YouTube TV is that in most markets, you get most of your locals from CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, and in some areas, PBS. The downside is like with all pay providers, you can't get what, you can't design your own lineups, so you're caught in the crap getting channels that you don't watch. For example, on DirecTV, their basic package has a lot of good variety and everything. But you get all these shopping channels and religion channels that a lot of people just don't watch. But they're thrown in there. And a lot of oddball news networks that you probably don't watch. There you go. Seth, why the shade on Alex Jones so much on True Talk? You seem very bitter over him or something. Let me get this straight. Alex Jones is nothing more than a fear-mongering fucking idiot who, just like Ann Coulter, wants instant gratification. With this, not Mr. 1776, 
fucking dunce wanting from Trump after all the promoting and tactics was for Trump to wave a wand like Cinderella's fucking fairy godmother saying, bitty boppity boop and voila, you get your wall and everything else. That's what Ann Coulter wanted too. You know, these two ought to get married, Ann Coulter and Alex Jones. Because they're both the same. They want instant gratification or else they jump off the fucking bandwagon. Have no use for either of them. Fuck them. Seth, what songs do you rock out to on a Monday morning that are catchy as hell? Good question. And here are some songs. So here you go. Uh, number one, My Sharona by The Knack. My Sharona. Look, this song is catchy as hell. And whoever hasn't heard it will probably say, oh, it's not. Well, just listen to it. I can sing this song first thing in the morning and it feels great. It should be deemed cruel and unusual punishment if you're in Generation X and you don't know the song. Uh, number two, Bring the Noise, Public Enemy, and also the version they did with Anthrax. Now, the original version version is really awesome because it's Public Enemy, but throw in the thrash metal gods of Anthrax and this goes up to 11. How did Anthrax get involved, you ask? Because Chuck D found out that Scott Ian of Anthrax was a fan of Public Enemy. Chuck D was an admirer of Anthrax as well. And Scott Ian wore the Public Enemy shirts on stage. So Chuck D's like, get hold of this guy. We gotta do this song with them. And there you go. Uh, number three, Triumph by the Wu-Tang Clan. Note here, this is the only Wu-Tang Clan song to feature all nine members track on on a track. And this brings it hard. Great song to rock out to with beats. And also has said it's the only track where all nine members are on board. For Panama, Van Halen. There will always be the never-ending debate as to which singer was better, Diamond Dave or Sammy the Red Rocker. This song's just great. Personally, it's a toss-up, but I will always love both singers. Uh, number five, When Stepping Out by Madness. Hello, it's two-tone ska with a funky brass section. It's bloody madness, and there's no stopping things. Love the song, and it's a classic. It's like a call to get things started, if you will. And I'll give you one extra song. And it's Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin off of Physical Graffiti. Physical Graffiti is one of my favorite Zeppelin albums. And this song is just hooky as hell. Great song. Uh, Question six, last one of the night. Seth. If someone could restore all the original music from the 70s, early 80s on WKRP in Cincinnati and put it on a network, would you watch it? Yes, no, and why? Almost definitely I would. Heck, Shout Factory has about 80% of the music intact because they've worked to get the rights to get the music restored. You still have some of the bumper instrumentals, but nowhere near as much as the 90s and 2000s in syndication with the bumper because of the publishing rights issue. And now before, and now that we're done with q and I'm going to give you a stimulus update before we turn out the lights here for the night. Now, the stimulus, the good news on the Stimulus Act is that Speaker Pelosi, Senate Minor, Minority Schumer, Mark Meadows, who's the White House Chief of Staff, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin 
spent yesterday hammering out every single detail of both the Heels Act and the Heroes Act. They hammered out every single detail and had a constructive meeting. That's the good news. Also good news is that you have staffers writing down what has been agreed to. We don't know what's been agreed to in a final bill yet, but it looks like things are slowly coming, are gradually coming together. It's like what one member of Congress said the other day, Congress works better when there's a personal deadline. Translation, they weren't worried about the ending of the unemployment benefits expiring. They weren't worried about that. They're worried that next Friday, they want to go home on time. That's what they're worried about. Yeah, they're worried about that, fam. So, you've gotten all your partisanship out of the way, going, oh, the Republicans are to blame, oh, the Democrats are to blame. No, they're both to blame. Because this should have been hammered out weeks ago and in the pipeline and done. So here's what I think is going to happen, finally. There's going to be a lot of compromises here. First up on checks. You probably won't see adult dependents in those single individuals with tax identification numbers or Mary Cumbles, where at least one has a tax identification number, getting two checks. I think that's done. I think that that's not happening. But it could be possible that these people and these groups do see at least a $1,200 check. Okay, people with TINs might be left out altogether. It just all depends at this point. But I definitely don't see two checks going out to this group of people. So if you're a college student, if you're disabled and a relative claims you, or if you're single with a tax identification number, or you're, married, or you're a married couple where at least one of you have a tax identification number, don't, ex- don't expect two checks. If you do, that's a major windfall. And if, you have t- if you're involved with a TIN, don't expect to get a check at all. If you do, it's a windfall. And again, if you're an adult dependent, expect at least 500, maybe a little bit more. The dependent credit. Okay. I want to see Republicans eat a shit sandwich here on this one and have it increased to 1200 per dependent under 16. Don't be surprised though if the Dems try to negotiate and it's somewhere between 500 and 1200. Time is the essence here. But I don't think the 1200 part will work out. I will gladly take the L next week if it does come to that. Funding the states and municipalities. I know that Republicans don't want this at all. They fear that blue states are going to end up going into special interest projects and not trying to bring back states and local municipalities back from the brink. Middle ground is needed. Yes, on the funding, but have it track to make sure that the money doesn't go to pet projects and goes to helping hospitals, vaccines, schools, etc. Unemployment. I think there's going to be middle ground. Not the 200 a week that the Republicans are shooting for, but not the 600. I still think between 350 to 450 a week will be in play here, to say the least. A lot of middle of the road ideas here. 
but you gotta eat a shit sandwich in order to get things done. I think that they'll also have protections for employees and employers. I think that the liability protections as well as the liability for employees, that'll be worked in. I think that it could be possible to have more SNAP funding as well for the food stamp program. All in all, with the bill being reviewed and where they agreed upon, we don't know, but I think we should see a bill passed by Saturday. So next Sunday, here in the basement, if the final bill is done and passed and out, I will tell y'all not only how I feel about the bill, how it finishes up, how it matches up, but also kind of like a little area of if you're getting a check, when to expect it into your account, etc. And that's it for this night. Uh, For those in the path of the tropical storm that's riding up the East Coast, I hope you all stay safe. I'm under a tropical storm watch as well, so to say the least, we're staying safe. Um, This week on the network, here's what we got for you. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m., Sports on the Health podcast. CP3, Robbie G, Anna K, Paul the Boxing Guy, Dijanae Bland, Don West Cheesebro. Have your DC sports without the politics. They've got it all covered. Wizards Roundtable, which has DC's People's Champ from the No Spots podcast. He's on there. They've got a Caps Roundtable. They've got a Nats Roundtable. And also a roundtable on the Washington Redskins football team, formerly known as the Redskins. They'll be discussing any news comes out of that as well, out of that team as well. This Wednesday night, I will be appearing on Zoom, assuming I have internet and power, on the Starting Five podcast with the Mayor Dan Dinkins and Katara from True Talk. Don't know what we're discussing yet, but it'll be a Zoom cast. It'll be on my page and on Katara's page. So be sure to join. So be sure to be looking out for that. Friday night, we will be recording No Spots. I think there's a couple of cards coming in from New Japan later on this week. But aside from that, we will be doing the weekend wrestling as well as the news. And we do believe that Donnie Wrestling should be back. Friday night as well. So that ought to be awesome. And next week here in the basement, Q&A, another countdown to be announced, and hopefully a rant on the final stimulus, who gets what. Hope, Hope everyone has a great week. Take it easy, peace out, and see you next week. Be well and much love.